0: Greetings, greetings, welcome. Welcome everyone. It's Chief Yuya and of course, the Chief Yuya podcast. We are on segment 78. 78, right? And as promised, we're going to kind of, I guess I'll share a little bit more um the direction we were going in our last segment, segment or how we were more so ending our last segment where we were building on some some numbers, right? And um, I think I got up to number five in our last last segment, just kind of giving some cursory information, you know, without assuming that these maybe are not things you've explored before as it pertains to numbers. But uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more, all right, or I guess just wrap it up, you know. um, So, you know, we left off in our last session with the number five, and I was just sort of sharing where – and that that energy of the five that you're dealing with, the sciences of of the seed, you know, or expanding forth in terms of that that uh that seed awareness or reality, and you know one of the things that's uh, or one of the fruits rather that you'll find associated with that number five. Will be the pomegranate, right? And, and it's, it's primarily just because of the, the seed experience. It's not because the prom, the pomegranate itself holds any sacred, you know, mysteries in terms of, of how we're dealing with that. But again, like we were just talking about that five, it's dealing with the reproduction aspects and even the, uh, karmic energy, you know, of your rewards and your, and your punishments and, um, our ability to multiply, right? So, uh, I didn't just want to leave us, you know, cause technically I was really gonna kind of focus on the number seven, but, uh, like I said, we just kind of ran out of time. So I, I didn't, I didn't want to just leave us with that, even though it wasn't really a segment about numbers, but don't want to leave you hanging. So we'll just continue forward a bit. So, um, coming from there, then of course. After five comes the number six. And six is interesting because it's similar to the number two. Um, you'll find that, of course, with your, your, your even numbers, there's going to be some sort of similarity where, like in two, you're dealing with, um, the kind, uh, kind of the energy of, of antithesis or you're dealing with the energy of this or that or plus and a minus or something that's, um, bi binomial. You know, where you have that that dualism, if you will. And then within the four, you'll have like um the appearance or or cognition, you know, the ability to have a cross section of something. Something goes this way. Something goes that way. And I think I had used probably the swastika. I I think I used um as the as the example or that sequence that the swastika was always the will of the law. You know, and that's really important in numbers and just in society, understanding where and how law fits in to what it is that you're doing. Because like you have the, the law of the Medes and the Persians and the Hammurabi code, Hammurabi code, Hammurabi, excuse me. My tongue is heavy, but the Hammurabi code, like, uh, our brother El Qura is now, um, covering in the, um, enlightenment and transformation channel on YouTube. You can check that out, of course. Um, then of course, going all the way up to, you know, what we use now typically in Western society, which is English common law. And the majority of, of what you do are based around those laws. And that's really a superior way of law. Most of the, most of the codex systems that were used in the past, the law coding were given to warlords. And it was tools to teach a warlord how to keep a people oppressed. So a lot of it was, don't do that, don't do that. A lot of it was financial-based, right? And there wasn't a lot of morality inside of them because re- that wasn't really uh the point. And those don't work very well, you know, ultimately. That's why there's so many codex systems. Um What works best really is common law. Now, of course, the common law has to be based around your own cultural aesthetic and not just something that someone imposes upon you, because then it becomes a, a code again, you know. um But when common law is typically disseminated by someone who sits as a judge and they use their, their wisdom and their reasoning, reasoning faculties to arbitrate situations that may happen within the community. And the decisions that they come up with become the laws of the land, right? So they're able to reference and say, this person at this, this, this is a situation like this, this situation that happened before. And based upon that, this is probably what we should do because a wise judge or ruler had told us that this is, this is how we, this is our culture. This is what we do or don't do. You know, so in that sense, it becomes something that becomes much more fluid and organic. And possesses the ability to be, um, expandable as opposed to a code, which you, you'll live by that same code forever and you won't question it. And that's the whole point. But the thing is, nothing is forever. Nothing is static, you know? So oftentimes your, your law codes, they're far more dangerous than people imagine. But like I said, we were just dealing with the, the even numbers. So. You know, looking at the two and then the four, which takes us into like just different ways that we classify things or, um, how we may look at even triads. Like the four is related to, um, the, uh, the so-called star of David, where there's an the upper and there's a the lower because it's, it's related to that concept of, of the upper triad, the lower triad, you know, um, and because it has that, that sense of discernment between this or that thing. Is it going to be this or is it going to be that? It correlates to the planet Mercury, you know, the messenger or, or Eshu, you know, the one at the crossroads who urges the decision. You're going to go this way. You're going to go that way. Right. So just again, looking at the, um, the similarity. That we often find when we're dealing with even numbers. And if, of course, if we shoot ahead, then we have our, um, number six, right? Cause like I said, yeah, we left with five on the last piece and six is your energy of cooperation, right? So it takes you right back again to that, that dualism, that double pair. So often when you have that, that six that you're, you're forming in your symbols, or if you have a symbol, that may have six points to it or six angles. That's something you want to look at. It's often dealing with the, the marital um aspects or kind of making a connection or linking, you know, um interlacing something that will be considered a reciprocal action. You know, like sex. The word six and sex are the same word. You know, um six sex, the letter S, it's it's all it's all the same thing. That's important to understand too when you think about um the number six, as it relates to even your um your your book of revelations, you know whether you're dealing with well let's just say six well we'll make it simple um the number of men if you will because your your six is always going to represent the interaction or the interlacing between that which is is nothing and that which is something or the um connection and the linking between the, the mental part of yourself and the physical part of yourself. You know, it's that psychology that intertwines the spiritual and the material is always going to be kind of your, your number six and, you know, psychometry and, and telepathy and um, even concepts of, of psychism will always be intertwined within that number six. It's not a, um, an evil number or a wicked number as some would, Dogmatically You know Imagine uh, It has nothing to do With anything like that But It's definitely a number that Will represent Oftentimes An alchemical sense of 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 harmony Or an alchemical sense of uh, Attainment And intercourse And, and restitution And uh, the ability to kind of Have different sexes Or the sexes Is two <laughs> um and to relate with each other you know and to kind of convert you know because when you're engaged in an in intercourse there is a there's a concordance between you and another person or persons but there there is a conversion of who you are in that moment male or female you know there's there's a moment where you become one and you become this androgynous unit you and that other person, you know, so, um, that relationship there or that intertwining, it kind of, it signifies that number six, which of course is, is, um, it's often represented by the planet, planet Venus. You know, that planet Venus, you'll see the number six. So that takes us to our uh, number seven, right? Which of course, <laughs> I mean, we're at our 78th episode and, for the 77th episode, I was really going to talk about the number seven, but I wanted to, to kind of provide a, a precursor to that conversation by sharing about just the value of um, shapes and symbols, how, the way that they're formed within the psyche of a person and how each of those shapes and symbols has a mathematical value to them because everything is always going to reduce down to mathematics, everything. So you have numbers that are coming at you all day and night. You know, even if you're looking at things through your, your own um obelisk um or what we might call a phone, right? Um it has angles. Right? Even even and technically it's a cube, right? Because it's it's three dimensional. But it has its own angles. So even when your, your phone is not turned on, it's already projecting a number to you. And that number has a, has a certain balance, right? So, uh, still let's, let's take a look at now we go from six and we go to our number seven. Now, of course, with number seven, we've spoken about it before because, um, there was a segment that I did before on the Sabbath, right? Sabah. And Sabbath or Saba is, uh, it's the seventh, right? It correlates you to that number seven. So if you go back into the archives, if you will, of, um, the podcast, you'll see a segment that I did on the, uh, the number seven, which will, I mean, I'm sorry, a segment that I did on the Sabbath. And that will give you some information about the number seven, right? But, um, nonetheless, when we're, we're kind of operating or projecting, uh, that, that number seven, we're projecting the energy of, of, um, of distance and duration, you know, so there's a sense of measurement there. Um, it, it gives us that energy of completion, you know, and there are certain importance when it comes to duration and distance. But when it comes to time and space, which we have this energy of the number seven, because so much of what we do is a measurement and we we may not realize it as a measurement you know like time is is a measurement, right you know um time is is a measurement that sometimes we utilize to to measure the duration of something <clears throat> or even to measure the space, how long it will take from to get from there or there. And sometimes we confuse these are measurements for what the thing is, right? So another great example of a measurement is money. Sometimes we confuse money, the measurement for wealth, but, or for prosperity even, right? But our, our money is just something that we use to measure our wealth. It's something that we use to measure our prosperity. But you're measuring something that already exists. You're just using something, a unit to say, well, this is how we can translate or transcribe that thing that exists. So you can have uh, money, per se, and um, not understand what it really represents, or you can not have um, that particular unit of measurement and still have a thing. Right. So sometimes we confuse a thing for another thing. And that's so important, especially in our developmental studies. Um, And this is all around that number seven, because it's dealing with the perfection of a person. You know, the seven is the what we call the Adam Adam Cadman, you know, but it, it's that that coming to that full cycle of, of wisdom or coming to that full cycle of evolution. So you want to be able to measure. Am I hitting that mark? First before I'm looking at what I have You know It's similar to like And it's a Zen method The way I often answer questions Um Students ask Sometimes very abstract and vague questions And they want a list A, a, a list of response You know And sometimes it could be something just like uh, Chief where did you learn all this stuff That's a question that can't be answered So really shouldn't even be asked, (laughs) but you can't, that's, that's you looking for a shortcut. And for me, because I don't teach religion, um, I'm not teaching you a code necessarily, but I'm teaching you a method. So I'm not saying do this, do that, read that book, that book, that book. And by the, by the end of it, you're going to know everything and you're good to go. And you can go frolic off and do whatever you feel like doing because chances are the reason you're only asking where, you know, where do I get this? Where do I get that? Because this is not a process that you particularly enjoy, but you want the, you want the, um, the ends, you want the destination of the, of the process without actually going through it, which of course is very cowardly. Of course, it's very cowardly, right? So the thing is, for a person like myself and anyone else who probably has some some sort of skill or experience in teaching, especially if you're coming from, again, a more Zen perspective, you'll never give a long, elaborate answer to a student, right? So it's the same thing and when you're giving a directive to a student or a directive to a subordinate. If I'm giving a directive, I'm not, I'm not looking for your obedience. Right. So my ultimate satisfaction is not your obedience. It's similar to when you're speaking to someone who's full of ego. And I brought this up um recently in a segment, you know, sometimes you'll, this is when you're, you're speaking, you're having a wasteful exchange when you're talking to the type of person where you're trying to explain something, and not really listening. And they're like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Just go say what you got to say, you know, you're having that sort of experience. And so you might say what you have to say, but it doesn't matter because the person has already decided that they've closed themselves off. Their their cup is full or they're at war with your very presence. You know, they're, they're they, so it's, there's no point in even talking. Right. So because they're stuck on that idea of obedience, all right, yeah, you got it. All right. Say what you want. You know, they may think that you're an egotistical person, I get this sometimes because people are are wrapped in their own ego. They can't recognize when other people aren't. So I might be explaining something and, you know, I've had someone do this. It was funny. I had more than one person. I'm thinking about one that was not too long ago. It was a woman and she said it to a group of other women and she's, you know, they were correcting her on something that she was dead wrong about. And she said, well, you know, y'all are very intelligent women. And then proceeded to explain what she was, which was very patronizing. And she tried it with me once. She said, chief, well, you know, you're very intelligent. And I said to her, I don't think you can make that determination because I don't think you're very intelligent. So because I know you're not very intelligent, how could you tell me that I'm intelligent and it actually mean anything to me? You don't have any credibility in that area because of your diminished intellect. And she just is like, you know, like made a face and was like, yeah, you make all the faces you want, but that's the reality of it. Right? So you're thinking that I'm seeking for egoic validation or you're seeking, you're thinking that I'm seeking for obedience from you, but a a, a true, Teacher never seeks for obedience What a true teacher seeks for In their student is the revelation That comes from obedience You see that's more important If I tell you go across the street And get that apple and you say yes And and I I don't care If you bring me the apple or not You know it's sort of like if you ever watch This old show making of the band um, There was a scene in there With um, Puff well I guess Diddy whatever um, Sean Combs Where he sent a group of young recruits to go across, walk across the Brooklyn Bridge from Manhattan and get him some cheesecake. Now, I can tell you from where they were at Daddy Studios to Junior's Cheesecake Factory, it's probably a good, Mm. it's not too far. It's maybe about six miles you know, it might be further than that, but I'm, I'm just off the top of my head. Cause, cause Juniors is close to the, to the bridge, to the Brooklyn bridge. And then, you know, you go up from there. So it's probably six miles, six, seven miles, but each way. So it's significant, right? That's not usually in, in New York. That's not a, that's not a distance people usually walk. They usually would take the train because you're crossing into two different barrels. In fact, you're crossing a body of water to get over there. And it, so they went, they walked and they got the cheesecake. And when they came back to the studio, he was gone. So was it about go do this thing for me or was there, I want, there's a revelation in your obedience and the act of you walking across because you weren't doing what you were supposed to do. Now I'm going to send you, go take a walk, go do this. Now, what are you learning from that lesson? You see? So the seven is, is wrapped up in that sense of, of endurance and stability because you have to be able to have the endurance and the stability to sort of receive the message, if you, if you will. That's why you'll have the counting with seven. And when I say the counting, there's seven ages that we typically cite. There's seven days of, the, of, of the week. Um, you have the seven seals. Um, we have what's called the, um, seven colors, right? Um, seven major colors. There's seven notes, you know, in a, in a scale. Um, even it's just, it's a lot of different seven, seven, seven principles, seven cycles of evolution, things like that. Um And of course it it's, it's that, that sense of rest or that concept of rest that your seven will bring forth, right? Which we know is, is the Sabbath, you know, and you can again, look at that segment and get more on that. But, um, that also connects it to the, to the energy of the planet Saturn, all right, that's seven energy, right? So moving on from the seventh, because now we're at the seventy eighth episode, so <laughs> we we have to give some energy to the number eight. Or really we could give energy to the number six because seventy-eight is fifteen and one plus five is six. So I mean, but we covered six already, right? So the idea of the eight. Eight is eight is um Eight is a pretty interesting kind of energy, um, and I think I, I touched on it a little bit in the in the first session. But energy, I mean, I'm excuse me. Um, eight is that energy of waywardness or madness, if you will. It's that vibration of of anarchism or segregation. It's that that when things now des- dissolve or or they become dissolute. You're looking at that vibration of eight. So it's, it's breaking back into, um, the spiritual energy by breaking down what has been material, you know, um, and kind of separating. You'll even find that eight is prevalent in divorces, like in marriages and stuff. If you look at the numbers or dates or things, anniversaries, you'll often find that there's an eight kind of being, um, projected. In, in that sense, you know, aid is also your vibration of, of breathing. It's it's respiration, um, which of course is building and destroying cells every time it happens. Um, your aid is, is basically, it's, it's your decomposing. And there's so much, ma- there's so many other things, like even with each number that I'm not really, I'm just, cause it's this, again, the segment I'm finishing up, but the segment wasn't really a num, numerical segment, but there's a lot more. That we could deal with, you know. But your eight is your is your revolutionary. Like a lot of people think, it's the seven is the number for revolutionary, but not really. You know, seven is is your death. You know, it's it's when things are coming to a close, when it's, things come to a still. It's it's even seven is also immortality as well. But you know, it's it's kind of that endurance of death. Whereas eight is really your revolutionary because it's now when things dissolve, things break. So eight also. Always associates itself with new invention, always so, associates itself with, with genius energy, you know, and it, it brings forth that energy of, of, um, Ur Anu, or what you may know as Uranus. But Uranus is Ur Anu, Ur Anu. Ur is light, Anu is heaven, you know, Ur Anu, the light of heaven, Uranus. So that's, that's the eight, you know, and kind of heaven, breaks through the clouds or the light of heaven breaks through the clouds now. And now we're in this place where now we're able to create new inspiration based based on a new pattern of breathing. You know, we're, we're, we're coming into a new genius and we're, we're, there's a sense of waywardness or, or, um, eccentric sort of, um, thinking because we're, we're off the path if you will, the beaten path. And of course that brings us to nine, right? We went from six, seven, eight, nine. And nine is usually um that's your clairvoyant energy because it nine is dealing with your rebirthing, you know, because you've come to an end with seven, you know, um you've then decomposed or broke things down, ready to come to the clouds with eight. And then nine nine is now the energy of the Voyager. Nine is the energy of like, now we're going forth. We're going to, we're going to make some things happen. But it's also the, the, the reformation of of a pulse, you know, where now there's a rhythm. Nine is your rhythm energy where it goes out, it extends, and, um, it becomes like a new wave of thought. Like when we get on a new wave, I think a new, a great example of that, which I'm loving it is, you know, was what's happening with, uh, Kyrie, Irving, Kylie Irving. I don't know if it's Kylie or Kyrie. I don't, I don't really care for now. But what's happening with him, um, I think it's a beautiful thing that's happening. First, he went through his, the ostracization because of he didn't want to take, you know, the chemical t- cocktail, right? He spoke out against that. Then he posted the documentary Hebrews to Negroes, you know, and, now is all kind of stuff happening to the point that he's probably going to have to retire from, from the NBA. Right. Um, for what? <laughs> for telling the truth, not even for telling the truth, for sharing a thought. Hey, this is a documentary. Check it out. Right. And I, I've sent a lot of people that documentary and there's actually two books as well that are associated with the documentary. If anyone who's interested. Um, but long story short is that. The beauty of it, especially if he stands tall, if he doesn't fall for, um, fools like Shaquille O'Neal or Charles Barkley. These are people who, first of all, these, these are guys who've worn dress, dresses. Okay. So just, just think about that for a second. These are the guys who are coming out and speaking against him and calling him an idiot. And, you know, he's dividing people and, <laughs> You wore a dress. You 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 have nothing to say to me until you address that. Then you had LeBron James who came out and was you know uh I don't agree with what he did what he did and but he was wearing number forty two baseball hat that was Jackie Robinson's hat. You got to look at the you got to look at the humiliation rituals that are happening when they're happening. This is the same thing they had Jackie Robinson do back in the days, you know, and they always do when people. Melanin dominant people get excited and riled up around truth and a new reality that there's th- that that new birth and new thought wave is coming forth. They always send some bought athlete to come out and talk to everybody and calm hey, everybody calm down now. Calm down to everybody. Think about it. You know, um, these people don't give a darn about you. Nothing. And again, for a big, gigantic, damn near Neflahem <laughs> like Shaquille O'Neal to, to put a dress on. You know, if you ever wanted to show if you had a little boy, a little girl, and you had them reading books about ancient African warriors and the greatness of that, and, and, they, and they said, I want to see what one of those people look like. You would probably show them Shaquille O'Neal as a model. Look at this big, gigantic man. See how see how we grow, see how big and muscular we can be, and that 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 dark ebony skin. See that those big lips, that deep voice, that's an African king. That's what we looked like. You might even show him a LeBron James, but then they put the dress on, right? So I, I don't want to get off into that too much because there's so much there. But that number nine is the idea of new ideas coming forth. And they're they're focusing within a certain cipher, you know it's kind of a an interp- interpretation where there is a um there's a value of numbers that if you put them together that they'll create a perfect scheme to form your number ten going into your nine you know um so that nine is is giving you that value of of prediction. This is what's getting ready to happen next, you know a lot of times when you have obscurity or or a cloud or a mystery inside of your um uh your mythology, it's that nine energy coming forth because it's bringing a new a new wave a new apparition um or a new sort of dreaming sense of of clear audience even. Where it's now saying, okay, there's a, there's a new going forth. There's a new, um, extension of my own census that now the world is getting ready to feel. You know, bottom line is the truth about Hebrews is coming forth. It's bottom line, it has to. It's a prophecy fulfilled. My little Instagram account was shut down for two years. Because the tags that I was using there was just was saying men of Yah, children of Israel, shut me down for two years. Unheard of. When I looked with no explanation, when I looked at all the different like tutorials, how to get your, your account unlocked and all of this, it was all, oh, well, usually when they suspend you, is usually f- for 24 hours. One person said that they were suspended for for two weeks, which was like a super long time. They locked me down for two years. And if you go on Facebook, you still can't put my website on Facebook. My my you.com is still blocked. I've never put up any fight videos. I've never put up any naked images. I've never had any hate speech or anything. I mean, you listen to these segments. I don't even use profanity. Locked me down for two years. You see, I don't care (laughs) because I'm not locked down. You know what I mean? So we have to the way that we approach even these platforms and and our communication. There's a new wave that's coming. So I'm I'm happy for experiences like this. Even like I said, I think I spoke about Mr. West on on the last segment. You know, um, the things that he's been going through, which are associated with what um, Kyrie Irving is um is is going through. You know, this Muslim brother. Because he was one of the first people to speak out in support of Mr. West In terms of, yeah, there are some aspects about um these other people That we are finding consistent in how they deal with us when it pertains to business Now, unfortunately, he did apologize But you know what? A lot of people will speak to that But kind of like when Nick Cannon apologized I wouldn't apologize You don't know what you would have did so stop because here's the reality of the brutal mafia style tactics of these people. You don't know why that person, you thinking they apologize for the money. Just like Nick Cannon, you think, Oh, he went and apologized to that community for the money. You don't know if he said, Nick, we will kill your children. Let's just, just straight out. We would kill your children. We would kill your entire family. If you don't come back and retract that statement, How, you don't know if that's what's happening. You see, so at least what's happened with Mr. West, everyone thinks he's crazy. He's not, though, but everyone thinks he's crazy. So he's able to move with a certain level of, of freedom because, well, he's crazy. But he's not, though. He's speaking about the business practices of a certain group of people who have historically had the same kind of business practices, you know. And for speaking out in the land of free speech, he's lost millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in contracts and sponsorships because he said something, because he voiced not only an opinion, but um, he voiced a perspective that could be backed up historically with numbers, so who's the, who's really the hateful one? Is it him or is it the people who will completely destroy your livelihood because they don't like something that you said before they even approach you for a conversation to, to gain understand? I mean, come on with the games, but anyway, so that's our number nine. It's that, that new wave of thought that's coming where it's like, all right, this isn't working anymore. You know, and again, Yehuda has to come back together. Yehuda has to reunite because it's said that there'll be no no raising of the temple until Yehuda unites. so when you look at a place and people will tell you that oh this is Jerusalem and this is and we've come back to the promised land, that's technically inaccurate that is inaccurate based on. Torah the book you say you study because until Yehuda unites there will be no journey to the to the holy land according to that book right so we already know then well then who are those people over there I don't know no I do know but <laughs> those are those are conversations that we have inside of our new who's really who and who ain't who You know, so like I said, um, just looking at those different numerical layouts, you know, you're, you're looking at how you may be creating certain shapes in, in your reality, in your life and how those shapes, the numerical value, you know, like if you're looking at that eight, how am I making that figure eight in my life, which now leads to loss and decay and extension, extinction? Cause sometimes people feel like, I feel like I'm stuck, I'm stuck in a cycle and nothing I'm doing is really working. You may be stuck in a number eight. You just might just keep making a figure eight in all of your movements. And as a result, you're stuck in a, in a cycle of, of decay. You know, nothing is, is, is really growing. And that since everything seems to keep dying around you because you haven't moved to the new thought, the regeneration of the nine. Which can sometimes be, or it can, it can feel, you know, sometimes a bit chaotic, you know, because oftentimes with nine, especially if you look at the Pythagoras, um, the, Pyth- the Pythagorean system, your nine oftentimes relates itself to anxiety and to even a maiming that may happen. Whereas your eight is going to deal with more justice, right? The reciprocity in that sense. So sometimes, Going into a new number, you know, regardless of what people may post on social media, you know, fake healers and fake gurus always make everything look and sound cathartic. And that's how, you know, they really they really not doing. There are some people who are just deathly afraid of the of of the process of growth, deathly afraid of the process of growth because they're stuck in, in control mechanisms, you know. They're stuck in control. See, that, that's one of the, the, um, there's a, there's a, sh- there's a movie series that I, that I used to enjoy watch. I guess I still kind of do. Um, called the Pink Panther. And, um, it's, it's old, you know, and of course there was a Pink Panther cartoon, but that wasn't really so much related, um, to, to the movies. But if, if you ever, and I think there was a remake. Matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I think it was with, Was it with Matthew Broderick, I want to say, maybe? Um, I might be completely wrong. But, but yeah, so the Pink Panther, you know, centered around a kind of, um, I guess we could say a haphazard sort of uh, detective by the name of Inspector Clouseau. Clouseau. You know, and these are French films. I know they first came out in the 60s, and... um, There was a bunch of of movies that came out, and I feel like there was a reboot in, like, the early 2000s, you know? But um, one of the things about Inspector Clouseau, and, again, you might watch it and be like, this is stupid. You know, older comedy is not the same. You know, it's a lot of times it's cleaner (laughs) than uh, what you might might, uh, watch now. But it's just like a a goofy, campy kind of thing to watch. But one of the things about Inspector Clouseau is that he had he had a housemate that lived with him. Right. And um, his house, his housemate, the way the way he would do. And the reason I'm laughing, because um this is kind of how it how it is in my house with, with with the boys. But um, every time he would he would come home, his roommate would attack him like he was he was paid to attack him his name was Kato right um Kato Fong and he was basically like his servant if if you will um and when he would come into his into his apartment Kato w- was trained to just attack him as soon as he came in you know he was a martial artist and he would just start like Darn it like trying to kill and they'd be tearing up the apartment like breaking dishes and everything like that and it was basically to keep him, to keep Inspector Clouseau on his feet. So he'd always know to stay on his toes, right? Um, and to me, it's just, it's just funny because like I said, my house is like that. When I come home, sometimes I hear the whispers when I'm putting the key in the door and I know like, and I'll say like, I know you're behind the door. I know you're behind the door. I'm putting my bags down. If you jump out on me, I'm gonna hurt you. And sure enough, get you, you hold his legs, hold his leg you know, they try all the time and they have not been successful as of yet. But I encourage them to keep trying. You know, trying to trying to take Baba down. Like one day we finally gonna get Baba and we're gonna flip him over, throw him down, whatever, and make him submit. But you know, but that's what Cato used to do, right? And why I think it's it's it, it may seem silly me explaining it to you, but the value of Cato is the value of like what we often see in martial arts schools, you know um a lot of times there'll be experiences where you are training your students, and I know I've done this I'll walk by and just give them a shot, bop, wow. and that means we're fighting right, and they may be doing pushups. You know, I used to do this thing when um students would do push-ups sometimes. Or not push-ups, I'm sorry, leg scissors. They'd be on their back, we'd be working core, and we'd be doing scissors or we'd be doing bicycles, and I would just go walk on them. You know, and for some of you, that may not sound like a big deal, but you got a between 270, 280-something-pound man, <laughs> you know just walking on you at will and i mean the women get it too with male or female i'm, I'm walking on your stomach and you never know when it's coming you know and um you know sometimes okay Tana, come on we're doing knuckle push-ups and i just come around I'm 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 gonna sit on your your uh your shoulder blades for the entire time come on <laughs> you know so um What what I'm teaching my students and doing that, because eventually what happens is the students they try to figure out a way around. Like, okay, I know he might attack at this time. Last time he came, he hit me with it, or you know, he 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 tripped me or he 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 leg swept me or he put me in a finger lock. So I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, right? And what they realize after a while is like every time I try to defend myself from what he I can't beat him. just like with my sons, like, I've always told them, you'll never beat me, ever. You never. And they, of course, don't believe that. But you never. I don't care how old I get. I don't care if I'm out of shape, whatever. You will I don't care how in shape you are. You'll never beat me. Because I'll always go where you don't think I can go or would go. You know, you always got to save something, right? You know, so if you got sons that attack you. There's always the knees, but when they first attack, you don't, you don't take your knee and and jam their knee because you don't want them to know that you would do something that painful to them. You know what I mean? So they always are thinking like, oh, we're going to get them. We're going to get them, you know, or you, you hit them with the tiger claw behind their knee and just squeeze that tendon, pull that tendon hard. That hurts so bad. (laughs) <laughs> things like that, they wouldn't even think like, "Oh my God!" I, I, hey, Bob, you got to stop. I, you got, you know, I, I know I got it, right? So it's the same thing. Where it's like, once you realize, or once you have a good teacher who's who lets you know, I can get you whenever I want to get you. There's never a way around me. What does that teach you? It teaches you to stop trying to cling to things that I cannot control. And the moment I begin to stop clinging is the moment that I begin to live because that's what, what, what keeps a lot of us from going through our number sequence. We cling to life. We're all, we're holding on to life with everything we have for dear life. We're holding on to life for dear life, our life. You can't grow like that. You know, you think about what is, and this, this is why the codes are so, are so, um, ineffective you give me codes to teach me how to be a warlord or so that I can maintain my positioning as a warlord. Okay. And ultimately what's ultimately, what's the problem with that? Ultimately the problem with that is this, um, what, what happens is that anything that you maintain with great force will always rise up in violence against you. If I have a group of people and I maintain that people by oppression and force and codes and you're going to do this and do that, do that. Eventually, those people will revolt. There'll be a number nine. They will revolt against me violently because that's the only way to get around my code. Okay, so what happens when you do that to yourself? When you, when you cling onto the static experience or the stagnant or the, the experience, the historical experience that you have or what you perceive to be your life, then you will rise up against yourself in violent rebellion. You see? So once you go through an experience or, or you're taught by a, hopefully a qualified teacher that lets you know, you know, um, you're not in control. And this thing that you're trying to hold on to, you really can't hold on to. So let it go. And once you get to that point where you're willing to let it go and you're able to let it go, then now the real growth can, can occur. You see, you can't teach. And this, I'm just using martial arts as the example, but I could use music as the example, either, either one. Um, I can't teach you anything until you let go of who you think you are right now. I won't be able to teach you anything because any mistake that you make or any mistake that you precipitate and you force will be because of the idea of who you think you are. You see, Oh, you know, I, I have short arms, so I'm never going to be good at boxing. Mike Tyson has short arms. I got small hands. Mike Tyson got small hands. You know, I don't have that knockout power like that. Neither Muhammad Ali. You know, like, you want to keep going? <laughs> I got stubby fingers. I'm not going to be a good piano player. Thelonious Monk had stubby um, fingers. And he wore rings on them. Had the nerve to wear these big, gigantic rings whenever he played. So I, what do what, what you got? <laughs> what else you got? Oh, man, I can't. I'm not good at picking up the cues from other musicians and stuff when they're playing and kind of seeing what everybody's doing. Well, you think Stevie Wonder's any better at it or Ray Charles? I seen what the other musicians are doing and you are. What's your excuse now? (laughs) You know what I mean? So we could just, we could just go through it. So until you are willing to release this, this stronghold or this clinging that you have for life, you won't be able to learn anything. You won't be able to grow. You see, because you're, you're functioning inside of this, um, social construct that we call the ego. Now we have to call it a social construct because there's no, I can't do a surgery to remove your ego, you know, nor can I do a surgery to transplant your ego. So the ego itself is a, is an institution designed by our social understanding. And it's just that, it's that character that we play out, that we draw in, in this, in the dirt and we say, this is my shape. But the reality is that all shapes change all shapes change there's there's an old like I guess, yeah it's famous fable um in in India where it talks about a man who he was seeking to to achieve balance right and in his seeking he went to a jeweler and he said i need you to make me a ring that will keep me basically will keep me from going overboard in my wealthy times and keep me from falling into great despair in my lean times because he wanted to find, cause that's really the, that's the, that's the true science of, of Buddhism. It's finding that middle point. So, you know, you're not locking yourself into asceticism where like, I'm starving, I'm starving, I'm starving. And you're trying to create all this pain for yourself, nor are you locking yourself into hedonism where you're just taking on any desire. So he wanted this ring and the jeweler made the ring for him and inside of the ring was inscribed, it shall pass. You see? So the reality is that, um, once we understand that even what we're clinging on to for life, like numbers, it's a, it's a measurement. It will pass. You know, even your death will pass. Death is what? And it's nothing but, a, but an undulation of consciousness. That's it. You see, because, you know, you were dead before everyone listening to me right now. You know, you were dead. You were dead. How do you know you were dead? The same way you know you're alive. There's no way that you could have a consciousness and awareness of being alive if you didn't know at some point you were dead. Because what would you have to compare it to, to know that I am consciously alive? There, there's something in within your cells that knows I was dead. You see, just like if you're wide awake right now, it's only, you only know that because you were asleep before. It's just an undulation of consciousness. You see, but oftentimes because we're, we're misguided, sometimes our, our teachers teach the wrong things. We don't have real teachers. You know, we stand on the outside of the window observing and picking up what we feel comfortable picking up. Um, we want everything to be one way. So like with your asceticism, and this was like the, the early, when you read the story, the story of Siddhartha, you know, he practiced asceticism where, you know, you, you, you're eating nothing. You're going days without eating, drinking. You're not bathing, things like that. And what you're doing is you're trying to absorb so much pain into your life that pain no longer has a, a grip over you. But the reality is, if you think about it, that, that within itself is destructive because that means you're afraid of pain. If I'm doing all of this for all these years to, to avoid the pain of pain, then I'm afraid of pain. And then you have the other side where it's hedonistic, where I just take on everything, all the sex I want, all the food I want, all the pleasures and joys of what this world has to offer me that I want. And that's another extreme, which, um, you know, it it creates an extreme imbalance within the system because I have no sort of contrast to understand where my limit is or if I am enjoying what I am enjoying. I don't know. Because where is the contrast? So there has to be pain. There has to be a down so we know that we're going up. There has to be a right so that we know that we're going left. There has to be a, a, a nothing so that we know when we have something. You see, so there's, there's always going to be that, that contrasting in the same way you have the numbers where you have even odd, even odd, even odd, odd, even, odd, even to let you know that, okay, well, there's a balancing point between our eat and our even and our odd number. There's a middle point between even those two where I can find, you know, how I can balance both and understand that these are both temporary and transient conditions. And it's only when we get to that place that we can actually grow and learn. But when we're always stuck one way, you know um, we're trying to live an impossibility if I say i um you wanna you go into your bedroom you're like yeah man i wanna I wanna do my bedroom over, man, I want my bedroom to look different, and I say, well, everything that's in your bedroom put it up." Put it all up, right? What do you mean put it up? Put it up, like vertically, put it all up. Doesn't really make any sense. Doesn't even seem like it would work. Just doesn't make sense. Because everything can't be up. Some things have to be down so I can see, I can appreciate them being up. Like if I have a rug on my floor in my bedroom in front of my bed, I appreciate that the rug is a step going up, up into my bed. But if everything is up, you know, and geometrically, that makes no sense. But if you can translate that into sometimes a mentality that we may have, just want to be happy all the time. What does that look like? That's you're going to go off into an oblivion of happiness. And how will you know you're even happy if you don't know That you're moving in that direction because these are all, these are all measurements of something. Happiness is a measurement. Just like your money is a measurement of your prosperity. You see, but how could you measure your prosperity if at some point you, you were not in poverty to be able to know I'm moving in this particular direction? Okay. But some people are so scared. So that has been our number section. I wanted to share with you, you know, and encourage for anyone who wants to to join our New Life Global Ministries. You know, just head over to ournewlifeglobal And it's something I wanted to share on that. I'm, I'm I'm gonna share some some inside stuff, which I usually don't. We had someone recently who, um, went through the process of orientation and things like that, and couldn't take. Couldn't take some direct energy, you know. Not that they bucked back or argued or anything like that, but um, you know, a lot of times people come in with a very weak constitution, and I had to share something to members recently, and I'm going to share it to to you all. Um, when you come into an environment, uh, especially when there's a hierarchy inside of that environment, and you're a student. Be prepared to have a foot put in your chest. And you should be able to have that foot put in your chest. Right? And this person didn't have a foot put in their chest. I'm going to extremes. It wasn't wasn't anything that deep. But even if I go into an environment, you know, oftentimes I'm tested. That's just what happens, right? And only if I'm working from a place of toxic femininity... Do I think that this test will never end? I got to go because I feel uncomfortable. You know, I've seen people in marriages because they were unhappy for a couple of months. I've literally seen people who were married for six, seven years end it. And I'm when I say, I'm really talking about the women, (laughs) you know. who say, well, I haven't been happy. How long have you been happy? It's been like three months now. I just haven't been happy. Three months out of years. Maybe you need an attitude adjustment. Maybe it's you you know but it's that toxic femininity that makes me think that whatever this condition is right now it's going to be that forever and not understanding that there's a process so even having a foot in your chest let's say and when I and and I'm saying proverbially foot in your chest that may be somebody grilling you with a bunch of questions you can't answer or digging into you to the point where they're reading you and saying look this is what I've noticed about you this is what's going on with you right um, That is a part of the student's journey That's a part of it Everything isn't going to be sweet Like I said, people who want that experience Where there's never any sort of um Discomfort in their learning They never, ever, ever Ever Ever, 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 ever See the face of their Elohim Ever, 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 ever. Regardless of what they tell you Regardless of all the dreams they tell you that they had, they never see the face of Elohim. Ever. You see, when, when, when you're the type of person who will, um, remove yourself from an experience because someone said something you didn't like or because you, you're tired or whatever, you'll never see the face of Elohim. Ever. And that's a sad reality. You'll never get back in the garden because you're too soft and it's especially disgusting when it's present in males and especially when those males have been poured into by other males who've helped them and supported them. It's disgusting and we need less males like that in the community. We need less. We need males like that to not reproduce because if you're weak like that, your seed is weak. You know, so I know some of you might be like, oh, and there's our there's our um <laughs> there's our music, we closing down, but I just wanted to share that um for those listening and wanting to sign up, it's not a game. it's not a game. you will be grilled. that's gonna happen. you come through the door, we, we check your temperature, let's see what you know, let's see where you're at, and especially if you're a man, if you say you're a man, if you look like a man you know then you you're going to be addressed in a way to make sure we we need to know who's standing with us and that you're not impostering we need to know how we can depend on you and in what order of the hierarchy do you fall all right so with that um I'm going to head out this has been chief yuya it's been another beautiful session thank you and everyone be well and be safe peace thank you for listening i just want to remind you all that you can now send questions for the up and coming season of the Chief Yuya podcast to questions at chiefyuya.com. That's Q-U-E-S-T-I-O-N-S at Chief chiefyuya.com. dot com. Also, if you'd like to contribute in any way to our Red Wrap initiative, for displaced women, head over to anulifeglobal.org forward slash redrap. That's A-N-U-L-I-F-E-G-L-O-B-A-L dot O-R-G forward slash R-E-D-W-R-A-P. If you'd like to join my ministry, Life Global, go to anulifeglobal.org, A-N-U-L-I-F-E g-l-o-b-a-l dot o-r-g and click the join link you may get sponsored by me or one of our other uh, members if you find that these podcasts have helped you in any way please leave a review on iTunes if my books have helped you in any way please leave a review on Amazon these podcasts along with my, my music can be found on all of the streaming platforms thank you and keep putting